Who's been enjoying the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship series? I know I really, really have. And I can't believe seven weeks has gone so quick already. It's just been such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And I know many small groups have just had life-giving conversations and it's been an amazing journey. If you haven't if you haven't listened to all of the messages, I really encourage you to go back and have a listen to the messages. We got to learn in week one to be before you do. When it comes to God, we, we be before we do. We be with God before we do for God. And then we learned how to follow the crucified Jesus and not the westernized Jesus. And then we learned about God's gift of limits. And I hope you've been embracing the limits in your life, your limitations. Then we learned how to discover the treasure buried in grief and loss. I just did that with my small group this week and I should have brought more tissues, but it was very, very good. We learned how to make love the measure of maturity. Last week we learned how to break the power of the past. And this week I get to speak on leading out of weakness and vulnerability. Leading out of weakness and vulnerability. It's been a really, really great time and I just want to make sure that we all know that we're not right now because we've heard these messages, like emotionally healthy discipleships of disciples of Jesus. We haven't arrived. Um, we've begun a journey together. And so even though our series is coming to an end tonight, I just want to encourage you that in your relationships, um, keep keep checking in on each other. Keep keep it going with your spiritual practices. Just keep it going. This is this is worth the journey. And we're only on the beginning. So lead out of weakness and vulnerability. Let, let's pray first. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are just so good. You are just so, so good. You are worthy of all of our praise and all of our honour. Jesus, when we have You, we have everything. Thank You that Your ways are higher than our ways and Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we come open-hearted and open-minded before You. And I pray that You would shape our thinking around what it looks like to be weak and vulnerable in this world. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. Awesome. So good. Thanks so much, guys. Aren't they lovely? They are very lovely. Um, awesome. So lead out of weakness and vulnerability. Before you switch off and think, actually, I don't lead anyone or anything, um, no. You do. You carry influence with someone somewhere. And so this message applies to every single one of you. And, and I really believe that it is God's desire for us as disciples of Jesus that we should always be um, reaching a hand forward, looking to somebody who's further on in the journey than us with a hand behind as well, helping somebody who is you know, not as far on the journey as us. And so you all carry influence somewhere. 
here. Maybe it's with your siblings, maybe it's with your friends, your co-workers, maybe you are in like a management or a leadership position, maybe you're a youth leader, a small group leader, or a leader in your workplace, a coach, a teacher, a parent, a caregiver. We all lead someone somewhere. So I hope you have got the people in your mind. You just raise your hand if you've got someone in your mind that, that you lead or that you might have influence with. If you've got a picture of them in your head, just raise your hand. Great, because we all need to be thinking about, just have them in your head, who, who you might be leading in this season. Okay, and now with them in your head, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you, do you, would you cover up your struggles in front of them as to not confuse them or look weak in front of them? I'll say that again. Would you cover up your struggles as to not confuse them or look weak in front of them? If you have, you're in great company. It's very tempting to do so. It's very tempting to think that we need to be the ones that have it all together. And I know I totally relate with this. There's been many times in my leadership journey that I have felt really unsure like, I don't, I'm really unsure in this. I don't know what the right thing is. I don't know where the right way to go is. And rather than being vulnerable and sharing that with those that I lead, I've covered it up and said something sure and something confident to cover it up. Whereas it would have been far more powerful if I had have taken a moment to just say, hey, I actually don't know. Why don't, we, um, why don't we seek God together in this? Or, or why don't I go get some more advice? And, and it's so easy to want to cover up when we are weak and vulnerable, especially when we're with people that look to us. And I'm guessing that I'm not the only one that has done this in this room. We all have a tendency to want to cover up our weakness and our vulnerabilities. At best, it's because we don't want to confuse those that are looking to us. At worst, it's because our pride won't allow us to look weak in front of them. And I tell you, when we, when we do not embrace all of who we are, weak and strong, we end up a defensive person. And so when we do embrace all of who we are, our weaknesses and our strengths, we can become a non-defensive person. And I don't know if you're in relationship with a non-defensive person, but it's really lovely when you're, when you're in relationship with someone who's not defensive. I can be defensive. Can anyone else be defensive? It's so annoying when, you're, when I'm defensive. You know, it would just be a small little comment or a small little question, and I'm like, what? I didn't say that. I'm not like that. I don't do that. You know, and then escalate something so small into something much bigger. And I walk away and I go, why was I so defensive? Is anyone like that? Maybe with your parents? Get a bit defensive? The problem with that reaction is that it's totally unhelpful, but also it's not godly. And I understand why we get defensive. We actually learn it from when we're really little. Because we be open and vulnerable with somebody and then we get hurt and so our defenses go up. Even our daughter Violet, when she, she's got three big brothers 
And um, when she was really little, like a baby, they'd just be, especially the next two up, they'd just be all over her all the time and rough. And I remember sitting her down just on her blanket. She's only just learnt to sit and she had toys in front of her, pillows behind her so she didn't fall back. And I just walked past her and she went like this with her fists. And I was like, oh, you poor girl. <laughs> She's just on the defense, like from a little baby. She's still on the defense. <laughs> we can get so defensive, but it's really unchristlike and it's not helpful. And I think most of us want to not be defensive because we can see that it's not emotionally healthy. It doesn't help, and it definitely doesn't help our leadership. It definitely doesn't help those who look to us. And so the question is how do we become less defensive, and what does that have to do with weakness and vulnerability? Well, it has everything to do with it because when we embrace all of who we are, when we embrace our weaknesses and our strengths, um, we become non-defensive. It's when we recognise that we are both saints and we are sinners. So I am both a saint and a sinner. See, I, I, am, I can be right, I can, and I can also be wrong in that very same day. I can be secure in one thing and I can be insecure in something else. I can be calm and I can be anxious. I can be loving to myself and in the same day, I can be not loving to myself. I can take responsibility in areas of my life and I can be a victim in other areas. I can be humble and I can also be full of pride. I can be kind and I can also be unkind. I can be generous and then to someone else or for, with something else, I can be stingy. I can be selfless, but I can also be selfish. All of these things are true for me and they're probably all true for you. And because I am a sinner and I have these things going on, it doesn't make me bad. And it doesn't make you bad, it actually makes us human. And when we embrace that fact, when we embrace that fact that we are both saint and both sinner, that we are both weak and both strong, we can become non-defensive because we are okay if the cracks show. We know we don't have to pretend and we don't have to defend because we have already embraced all of who we are. And not just tolerate it, not just ignore that it's there and know that it's there, but actually embraced it as part of who we are, knowing that we're safe to do so, that God's love is big enough. The world's love might not be big enough, but God's love is big enough that we can embrace all of who we are and bring it to Him. The challenge is we live in a culture trying to sell us a path to power and strength, and it's not a path of weakness and vulnerability. But God has a countercultural path to power and strength, and that is through weakness and vulnerability. And unfortunately, that is rarely, very rarely, truly experienced in our world. 
And so as disciples of Jesus, we're called to walk this countercultural path. So we're going to get that first slide up. So God has a countercultural path to power and strength. And so there are three things we're going to talk about. So his countercultural path to power and strength, we are going to develop a theology of weakness. We're going to speak about that. We're going to embrace the gift of your limp. And practice vulnerability daily. Practice vulnerability daily. So let's start with developing a theology of weakness. Are you all with me? Yeah. Okay, great. That's good. Okay, we're going to start by looking at God. God made himself vulnerable, which is quite just a mind-blowing thought that our God made himself vulnerable. He made himself vulnerable in his unrelenting pursuit of you and I. He made himself vulnerable when he gave us free will because now we were able to choose him or reject him. And he made himself vulnerable to that. So since the beginning of time, he has been pursuing his sons and his daughters. And today he is pursuing his sons and his daughters. And maybe you're here for the first time or you're just figuring it out. You're feeling that pursuing of God. He's been doing that from the beginning. And sadly, many say no, many turn away. Few say yes to Jesus. I will follow you. I choose you for my whole life. And so he makes himself very vulnerable Jesus, he, he modeled to us a way of weakness. Jesus modeled a way of weakness. He was the Son of God. And when He entered this earth, He didn't enter this earth. He wasn't born into a palace. He was born as this weak little infant in a barn. He then was a refugee in Egypt. And then when He left Um, Egypt, where he was a refugee. He, He came to this little backward town far from a big city. And there he had a very ordinary family and very ordinary work for 30 years before he began his ministry. And throughout his, his ministry was very, very small by the world standards. He didn't overwhelm people with his amazing intellect, even though he could have. He didn't give signs and wonders and miracles by demand when people wanted it. Throughout his ministry, he exercised his power so carefully as not to manipulate or force anyone to follow him, but he revealed just enough of himself to make faith possible, but hid enough of himself to make faith necessary. When he entered Jerusalem as the king, He entered on a donkey. 300 years before that, Alexander the Great entered Jerusalem on this magnificent war horse. And here's the King of Kings entering in on a donkey with such humility. He then allowed himself to be arrested and treated as a criminal. He wasn't afraid of appearing and looking weak before others, and yet we often are. I think... We just can't, I can't not share um, the moment on um, Gethsemane when it's the night before Jesus is taken and arrested where he would be tortured and crucified. And he has this amazing time of weakness and vulnerability expressed to God, but also to the people that looked to him. 
And so I'm going to read it. And actually, I'm just going to put up a piece of art that I saw. That And, and this is based on, on this moment. And it's in Luke chapter 22. It says, When an angel appeared from heaven and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So I'm going to read it, and you can just... Close your eyes if you like. You can just reflect on the weakness and vulnerability of Jesus and how he modeled that. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and his best friends, and he found them sleeping. And he said, couldn't you just keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He came back and found them sleeping once more because their eyes were heavy. So he left them. He went away once more and he prayed for a third time. And then he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And this is the Son of God. And if he is okay with being vulnerable in front of others, if that's the leadership that he models, why would we model anything else? Why would we want anything else if he was okay to not cover up his weakness and his vulnerability? Why would we feel like we need to cover up ours? Then we're going to look at our next example to help us get this theology of weakness. We're going to look to Paul. So Paul was an amazing apostle. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And Paul had planted this church in Corinth where he had spoken it. He had worked into it. He loved it. For 18 months, he worked as a tent maker while he was doing this ministry. And over that time, um, these super apostles appeared. And these super apostles, it was said that they had like a ministry of signs and wonders of like visions and revelations um, that they had amazing teaching gifts and, and obviously better than Paul's because they started to follow um, the super apostles and not Paul. And so here's Paul writing a letter to his church and to kind of to kind of show them his authority in the matter. He doesn't boast in his visions and his revelations and his strengths. He actually boasts in his weaknesses. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. 
he then talks about this thorn in his flesh, which is like a struggle that he could never quite get over. We don't know what it was. In the message translation, they call it a handicap, but it was something he didn't want to have. It was something that held him back. And in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8, he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and times of difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's so understandable that Paul would think that this thorn in his side, this thing that he struggled with, was a hindrance to his ministry, a hindrance to his life. But God, when he brought it to God, take it away, God didn't take it from him. And he showed him that actually it's not a hindrance. It's a gift to you because my power works best in your weakness. And so Paul, he became to realise and he came to know that human weakness is the most amazing backdrop for God's glory to be shown to the world. And so rather than removing the problem, which is what we all want, right? God gave him grace in it. So much so that he saw this grace as a basis for his authority. And then we're going to go to David, King David, this victorious king, the one who led out these battles. He expanded the kingdom of Israel. He was victorious and he honoured God. He wrote Psalms and everyone looked to David. He did so much right. And then he had this amazing, amazing fall where he had an affair and then he ended up getting her pregnant. And then to remedy the situation, he murdered her husband, who was one of his most faithful men. And when the prophet came to David to confront him, there was no defense. He didn't use his kingly authority, but he was open before God. And he allowed his, he allowed his mistakes to be written down in such detail that we get to read it today. He also wrote a song about it, which is Psalm 51, and he taught everybody to sing it. He drew attention to his weaknesses and to his failings because he knew that God's mercy and His grace and love wasn't on his performance. It wasn't on his victories, but it was there regardless of that. And so I love that he drew attention to his weaknesses and vulnerabilities. So that's how we get our theology of weakness. And then we have to, you got to embrace the gift of your limp. Embrace the gift of your limp. We've all been hurt. We've all got a limp. Paul was not the only one that was given a thorn in his flesh. We're all given something that we ask God to take away. Maybe it's a struggle that you've had for a long time. You ask God to take it away and it's, He just doesn't. And it's an invitation for us to invite Him into it and to embrace it. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it is a tendency to, dep to depression, anxiety or loneliness. Maybe it's a childhood pattern of relating to people that 
just causes you to feel so desperate for change, but you can't seem to do it. Maybe it's a disability, temptations to anger, hate, resentment. I don't know what it is for you, but I want to tell you, you're in good company. You're in good company. Vulnerability is something that we all share as human beings. There's this um, art form in Japan, and it's called Kintsugi. And we've got a picture that we're going to put up. And, and the name literally means to, to join with gold or to repair with gold. And so they take a piece of pottery that has been broken. Maybe it's, it, something happened to it, it was broken. And rather than throw it away, rather than discard it, rather than use the tiniest bit of glue and try and piece it together and hide the cracks, they actually emphasize them by adding this gold-like lacquer in between it. And then once it's all been put back together, it's more valuable and more precious than it was before. And God, He likes to do kintsugi on us. <laughs> he likes to do it on us. See, there's been, I can count at least three times when I haven't been a little bit broken, but really broken, that circumstances have, have broken me. And God doesn't leave me in pieces on the floor, and He doesn't leave you in pieces on the floor. But what He does is He picks up these broken pieces, and with His grace, and with His mercy, and with His healing, and with His redeeming qualities, He lines it, He repairs us with this gold that is Him, and we become more valuable and more beautiful than we were before. See, I have become more compassionate, more loving, more aware of God's sovereignty, more surrendered, more unafraid because I've been put back together. And I wouldn't give that up for anything. Second Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. So we can lead embracing our limp, unafraid that people will see our cracks and our flaws, knowing that we are strengthened and better equipped for the task of leadership because we have been repaired and put back together by our incredible creator. And then we can practice vulnerability daily. That's the next thing. Practice vulnerability daily. Every day we can be tempted not to practice vulnerability daily. I mean, just, just keep an eye on it just tomorrow. You will be tempted many times to not practice vulnerability daily. And if we're going to practice it, it's going to require some intention. And so to try and help us on this journey, we've got a painting that it's going to be a visual cue for us and a parable. And so this painting is from the parable of the prodigal son. And so this is the father here embracing his son who has returned. And so what the, we call it the prodigal son, but Jesus, he never called it that. 
he said, I want to tell you a story of a father and two sons. And so here we have this younger son and he comes to the father and he says to him, I want my inheritance and I want it now. And so the father, not having the spare cash in those days, would have had to sell off some of his estate and shrink his estate that he's worked so hard for to give the son his inheritance. And the son taking this money rather than using it on something noble or worthy or setting himself up, he squanders it on wild living, the Bible says. And then came a severe famine in the land. And he's left there in a really bad situation. He finds himself tending pigs. And any Jewish listener would have known that is the lowest of the low, because if you even touch a pig, you're unclean. And so he was tending pigs. And not only was he tending the pigs, he was so hungry that he wanted to eat what they were eating. And then he said to himself, gosh, even, even the servants in my father's house, even they get bread on their table. And he said, I'm going to go back to my father. And so he starts this journey home. And as he's walking this journey home, he prepares the speech. And he knows he's taken his inheritance. And so he's decided, I am no longer worthy to be called son because if I'm called son, I'm an heir again. I'm no longer worthy to be called son. And so I'm gonna go back to my father and, and I'm gonna tell him that I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll just be a servant in your house. And it said that when the son was quite far off, the father saw him and this father just went running towards him. And this is the embrace. And we see here this younger son. He's, his hair's gone, which is totally shameful as well. His clothes are tattered. He no longer has a cloak. He's wearing one tattered shoe there. He's just the picture of brokenness, isn't he? And humility. And weakness. And vulnerability. And he just leans into the father. He doesn't deserve it, but his father puts a cloak on him, gives him the ring, puts shoes on his feet, reinstates him as son. That the father's love was so lavish and reckless. And then what happened is the older brother was coming in from working and he heard this party going on because the father, his son had come home. And so he'd said, let's kill the fattened calf and we're going to have a party because, because my son's home. And then the older brother comes in and he says, what is this all about? And he said, this, there's this party going on for your brother. He's come home. And the older brother, he, he refuses to come in. The older son refuses to come in. He's like, what, are you serious? I've done nothing wrong. I've been the one who stayed here. I didn't demand my inheritance. And he's never given a party for me. He's never killed the fattened calf for me. And here's my brother getting all of this that he doesn't deserve. Henry Nguyen, he writes this book about the prodigal son, about this painting. And I want to read you a quote from his book. He said, Yet over, over and over again, I have left home. I have fled the hands of blessing 
and run to a faraway places searching for love. This is the great tragedy of my life and the lives of so many I meet on my journey. Somehow I have become deaf to the voice that calls me beloved. There are many other voices, the dark voices of my surrounding world trying to persuade me that I am no good and that I can only become good by earning my goodness through making it up the ladder of success. I think in our desire to make it in this world, we can try really hard to please people, to achieve success, to be recognized. And in the process, we ignore our limits. We gloss over our losses and our pain. We cover over our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. And we end up leaving home, leaving the place of the Father's love. We end up lost. And I tell you, I want to live where the younger son lives. I want to live where the younger son lives. I want that to be my posture, kneeling before the Father, acknowledging my weaknesses and my profound need for Him, bringing all of my limitations, all of my hurts, all of my failings before Him every single day, understanding that I am nothing but a fragile piece of clay, a fragile jar. And, and when I come before Him, embracing all of who I am, I experience this undeserved measure of grace and of mercy and of love and of healing and of redemption. When I posture myself daily at the feet of my Father, leaning into Him, and the alternative is to carry that spirit of that older son who refuses to come in. Can we put that picture back up? Here he is dressed like his father. But unlike his father, he's looking at this situation with judgment, with resentment. The older son, he's done nothing wrong, yet his heart is so far from right. He's more lost than the younger son because he doesn't know that he's lost. He stayed in the father's house. He remained in the father's love, yet his heart left it. And I think that should be a bit of a warning to us that we can be in the father's house and we can serve and we can do the things, yet our heart can leave home, leave the place of our father's love. When we aren't intentionally coming before the Father in our weakness and our vulnerability, slowly but surely, we look more like the older son. Here's a few indicators to know if you're becoming more like the older son. When something bad happens and you go, What? God? I've been giving. I've been kind, I've been going to church, I've been praying, I've done nothing wrong, I've been doing these things and this bad thing happened to me, what? Because we've gone back to that place of earning. Or even worse, when someone who's wronged you or someone who they just don't live the way they should 
And then you watch them get blessed. You watch them receive the embrace of the Father and receive the embrace of others. And it makes you feel yuck inside. You start to become like the older son. And so what do we do? We get on our knees before the Father. We get on our knees before the Father and we remember that I am saint, that I am sinner, that I am weak and I'm also strong, that I, I have all of these weaknesses and vulnerabilities and struggles. And so I come before Him. Would you stand with me? Because I just want to lead a little time of response and then I'd love for us to just go back into a song of worship so you've got some space. But maybe you're here and you've realized, yep, I've left home. (laughs) I've left the place of the Father's love. Maybe in your pursuit to get ahead or to be liked, you've left home. Maybe it's been a while since you've got before God and really been vulnerable and open before Him. Maybe it's been even longer that you've been that way before others. I want to invite you to let your defences down tonight with your Father and with the people in your life.